News Power Hour. Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. I'm Alec Hogg, the executive producer of the Biz News Power Hour, and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to our very first show here going live around the world and, of course, locally on FMR in Cape Town. The Biz News Power Hour intends bringing you the day's news in a form that you can understand. Uh, we'll be speaking truth to power and giving you the context of the news developments as they happen through the day. On top of all of that, please remember, this is The Rational Perspective. Our anchor, Jackie Cameron, has been with Biz News since inception seven and a half years ago. Uh, because of the way that we operate by having a remote model, she is based in Scotland, but is in tapped into what happens in the South African markets. We also have colleagues in London, Cape Town, of course, and Johannesburg. But for tonight's show, let's hand you over. Here's Jackie. Thank you, Alec. As, as you know, my heart and my head are in Cape Town, so it's great fun to be joining this show. Uh, and uh, on today's show, we've got Harry Foree, CEO of Capitec, on the company's 20th anniversary, billionaire entrepreneur Rob Hersov on his oversubscribed SPAC, banking analyst Koki Koyman, and fund manager Pete Fulyun to discuss Warren Buffett's annual letter to shareholders. And we also have independent financial advisor Magnus Haystack of Brenthurst Wealth Management on new proposals to use your pension fund to invest in infrastructure. First, the news highlights from my business colleague, Melanie Nathan. South Africa's seasonally adjusted APSA Purchasing Managers Index expanded faster in February compared with January, supported by an increase in new sales and business activity. The index, a gauge of manufacturing activity in Africa's most industrialized economy, rose to 53 points in February from 50.9 in January, remaining above the 50-point mark that separates expansion from contraction. The most encouraging outcome of the February survey was a continued improvement in new sales orders. The improvement was supported by better export sales relative to the previous month, while the loosening of local lockdown restrictions likely also contributed to an uptick in domestic demand, said APSA in a statement. South Africa's diversified service provider, Bidvest Group, reported a 6.1% year-on-year rise in profit for the six months that ended on December 31st. Profit was lifted by the contribution of PHS, a UK-based hygiene company bought in 2019. Demand for hygiene and facility services, DIY products and bulk commodity services also boosted half-year earnings. Its normalized headline earnings per share, which excludes some items such as acquisition costs and COVID-19-related expenses, was 651 cents for the six months, up 6% from a year ago. Its revenue for the period grew 3% to 44 billion rand. The company declared an interim dividend of 290 cents per share, up 2.8%. Public consultations have begun on a policy document that will target nepotism, political interference and corruption in public service, South African President Cyril Ramaphosa said in a weekly letter to the nation. We are proposing a number of far-reaching reforms, such as extending the tenure of heads of department based on merit and performance, doing occupation-based competency assessments, and involving the Public Service Commission in the interviews of Directors-General and Deputy Directors-General, Romaposa said. The public service must be staffed by men and women who are professional, skilled, selfless and honest, he added. Former French President Nicolas Sarkozy has been found guilty of trying to bribe a magistrate, becoming the first president in the history of France's post-World War II Republic to face prison time. A Paris court convicted him on charges of influence peddling and corruption, sentencing him to three years in prison. Sarkozy faces a one-year prison term as the court suspended two years of his sentence. Coming up next, my business colleague in Johannesburg, Justin Rowe-Roberts, who follows the Johannesburg Stock Exchange throughout the day. Justin, what happened on the market today? Jackie, the JSE All Share Index was up 2.4% on the day. Some of the day's highlights include Sassol, up 4%, 
Precious metals producer Sabanya Stillwater up 3.1%, Naspis and Process up 4% and 2.7% respectively, and that's on the back of internet giant Tencent up over 5% in Hong Kong this morning. And telecommunications provider Telcom was the biggest mover up over 6% on the day. In the currency markets, the rand was flat against the greenback at 15 rand to the dollar. The rand strengthened against the pound and euro by 1% and 20 cents respectively to 20 rand 86 and 18 rand and 4 cents respectively. The gold price increased by 0.7% to $1,740 an ounce. Bitcoin increased by 5% to $47,500 a Bitcoin, which equates to over 720,000 Rand. And lastly, Brent crude was up by less than half a percent to $64.45 a barrel. In the Western Cape with us now is Charles Boerter, my colleague who is an investment analyst. Charles, tell us about the Stock Exchange News Service announcements, the big ones of the day. There was one big one in particular today, wasn't there? Jackie, today Bidvest released interim results uh, for their financial year uh, December 2020. Uh, Group revenue for the six months increased from 43 billion rand to 44.4 billion, which was a 3.4% rise. Uh, From this, the company generated uh, 5 rand 62 per share in basic earnings per share, a 17.2% increase on the 4 rand 79 achieved in the corresponding prior period. Finally, the company declared an interim dividend uh, before dividend taxes of 2 rand 90 per share, a 2.8% increase over the prior period. Oh, looking you. to the future, uh, sorry, Jackie. Looking to the future, the company expects uh, trading conditions to remain challenging with, as they note, the pace of recovery remaining largely uncertain. Hence, they uh, expect they want to control what they can, which is their cost base. And, uh, yeah. So that was Charles in the Western Cape. Now, earlier today, I spoke to Magnus Haystack, an independent financial advisor, about new draft amendments to Regulation 28, which governs the way pension funds can, can allocate your assets. This proposal is, is government's response to calls for retirement funds to help pay for national infrastructure investment. I asked Magnus how this all works, what he thinks about it, and also we chatted about the conspicuous omission of proposals to allow greater access to offshore investments. Yes, good afternoon, Jackie. Regulation 28 determines how much of your money you can or may be allocated to various asset classes while your money is invested in a pension fund, provident fund, and a retirement annuity fund. So essentially, most of your build-up of your retirement capital has to follow these guidelines and it determines how much can be in shares, how much can be in property, how much can be onshore and offshore. And one of the criticisms for a while has been the limit of a limitation of 30% offshore. Um, uh, by and large, this has been a, a substantial drag on investment performance for a very long time. So there were all kinds of uh, rumors flying around a while ago that this might be increased uh, and also that uh, there might be some prescribed assets, which is something something else. But uh, the, at the, in the end, we got a, a situation where government has decided not to introduce prescribed assets, which is very, very nice. But it has come with a new uh, classification of, of, of what pension funds may or may not invest in in infrastructure. Now, that hasn't been clearly defined yet, but it opens the door as to how much pension funds may invest in a new asset class called infrastructure. And this is just broad comments that are now being expected. We need a bit more detail. So on the whole, it's not, it's, 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 I don't don't think it's such a bad development. I think we do need, um, expenditure into infrastructure and we already do pension funds have for a long time said but we do invest in infrastructure but they say bring us bankable schemes that are uh, that will make a return on, on 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 the investors money so that's that's the that's the problem so in general i think it's to be welcomed i think it, it might open some gates and and get infrastructure get, uh, going but, of course, it's going to be very important, the role that 
the quality of these um, infrastructure schemes will play. Will they be monitored by the ratings agencies and what the um, role of the trustees are, are going to be? Because ultimately, nobody will be forcing pension funds to invest in these things and only on the basis that there are good investments. Will the trustees allow these investments to be uh, to, to go ahead? So in, in, in principle, Jackie, to, to answer your question, not a bad development, no shocks about it. And I think if it's if it's done responsibly and correctly, it it it, it will provide an, a much needed boost for South Africa's infrastructure, which has been been um, neglected for a very long time. But the issue is how will investors make money, and that that is the crux of the matter. And I think in in his budget speech and after the budget speech, Finance Minister Titumbueni spoke about public and government partnerships with these big schemes. An example would be the Bitebridge um, um, passport control or flow of people. Now, that is something that, that can be developed in conjunction with with the private sector, i.e. pension funds, but they must make a return on their money. So that's that's going to be critical how this is rolled out um, in, in, the, in the years to come. So, uh, as a whole, not a bad development, but we're going to need much more detail of what kind of projects qualify, how will they be controlled, how will they be monitored, and how will investors, um, most importantly, be, be protected against um, fraud, theft, and, and all kinds of funny things that tend to happen with infrastructure in South Africa. If you feel strongly that you wouldn't want your pension fund invested in infrastructure, could you somehow instruct your pension fund manager to not allocate your portion to this new asset class? For for many, for most people, you don't have that choice. If you're in a group scheme, you will go into the funds that are recommended by by the trustees and you go in alongside with them. If you're in schemes where you have individual choice, you may be able to say, I don't want to go into that fund because it's investing in infrastructure. I want to invest it in something differently. So uh, to, by and large, you will have to go with the flow, but there might be exceptions where you can specify whether you would like to go into funds that invest in infrastructure or not. You will at some point uh, with, with certain types of retirement funds like retirement annuities, and also with uh, preservation funds where it's an individual uh, type of investment, you can, you, can, you can decide on your asset allocation within the funds. You do have a bit more control over that. After the age of 55, that's very important. After the age of 55, things do improve for investors in these schemes because you have some kind of control that you can exercise. You might decide to withdraw the funds or move it across to a living annuity, which will not have these uh, Reg 28 guidelines imposed on them. So, uh, you know, the, the end of this all will be that people need to take much more interest in where their pension money is invested and put pressure on their trustees to act in their best interest as best they can. So it is something of a new chapter for uh, for retirement funds in South Africa. And last year you signalled the alarm when the government withdrew an exchange control circular which looked like it was going to pave the way for greater offshore exposure. And then there was a lot of talk at the time that uh, there were vested interests in the industry who'd managed to get this withdrawn and we then heard that this would be dealt with in these amendments. Were you surprised not to see anything about exchange controls and an easing of exchange controls in this document? Yes, I, I was, and, 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 and the whole industry was expecting something to be said in the budget, but I think that it will, it will happen soon. I, I still think that there are negotiations behind the scenes as to what exactly that circular was all about and how you interpret that circular. The, the infamous circular 15 slash 20, which some people interpreted as no boundaries on the offshore exposure, which um, would have impacted um, greatly on certain pension funds 
So we, I still think that bun fight is happening as we speak, and, and hopefully we'll have some clarity in due course because it was promised, it was, it was withdrawn by Treasury and the Reserve Bank, and we expect some kind of indication very soon. Magnus, can you just explain for people who aren't familiar with the financial services sector why it appears that there are people who don't want an easing of exchange control? In, in whose interests is this to maintain the status quo? Well, there are many vested uh, interests in the big in the big investment industry in South Africa, and it can be you know, lo- the local fund managers with local funds uh, versus offshore funds. That that uh, you know it depends who you control, what the pricing is of these assets, and a lot of the larger insurance type based pension funds in South Africa are sitting on very large amounts of money that they control and make a very good return on managing these monies. And the margins in many cases are substantially higher than, for instance, on offshore funds that by and large are cheaper and tend to be ETFs and index-linked investments that are much, much cheaper. So one can see that the that the local pension giants, if you can call them that way, would not like to see the gates open because that would expose them to much more foreign competition in terms of pricing, in terms of, of, of performance and things like that. So there are a lot of people who would like to see the status quo not, not change for, for obvious reasons. So the people who work for these big companies like to diversify their assets offshore and they tend to be wealthier people, but they don't want us to do it in our pension funds. <laughs> I didn't say that, Jackie. You did, but uh, yes, people will agree with you to that extent. It's it's a business decision. If you're sitting managing, let's say, a hundred billion rands of funds in South Africa, and your margin is say two or three percent, and if you um, open up the floodgates, you are competing with the Black Rocks and the vanguards of the world. With a margin to imagine, manage the same fund will be perhaps half a percent, if, if, if not much less. So there is a vested interest at play. That was Magnus Haystack of Brenthurst Wealth Management speaking to me, Jackie Cameron, of BizNews earlier today about proposed changes to Regulation 28. Coming up, it's a very warm welcome to Kheri Furi, CEO of Capitec, South Africa's largest bank with 15 million clients. Happy anniversary, Kheri. Thanks, Jackie. Nice to be on the show. Thanks for joining us. Did you set out from the start to build the country's largest bank? <laughs> yeah, it's a question I get uh, quite a lot, but it's interesting. I still got the business plan that we wrote actually in 2000. Uh, we actually say our, our birthday is uh, 2001 because that's when we got our banking license. But if I look at that uh, business plan, we're actually still executing it about 90%. Uh, I think the only thing we got wrong was uh, we predicted 2 million clients. So um, I don't mind uh, making an error like that. But, yeah, uh, it's quite nice to have 50 million clients. And it hasn't always been easy for you, Harry. You've been caught in the crosshairs of short sellers trying to talk your stock down, and you've also had various other issues. What have been the biggest challenges for you in this uh, two-decade journey? Yeah, I think a big uh, uh, challenge in the beginning was uh, to actually do the transformation from a micro lender or cash loan business to uh, a fully fledged bank. Uh, I think sec- secondly was actually to establish the brand. Um, you know, a brand uh, normally takes you 10 to 15 years to establish. I think uh, uh, are um, really from about year 13, 14, 15, the brand became very strong. Um, yeah, and then you had your ups and downs and, and, and things like that you normally manage. Uh, but, yeah, I think overall, you know, if, if you build a brand, and the word is consistency and, and making certain that you deliver on the client needs. Um, so there's, there was been challenges, but I think overall we've done well. And uh, what's, what, what does the future look like for you? You say that you benchmark Capitec against behemoths like Amazon. How does this play into your long-term goals? Yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunities. Uh, if I look at uh, retail space, I think on e-commerce in South Africa per se, there's a lot of, a lot of opportunities. Uh, you know, it's still about uh, 80% of payments in South Africa is cash. Uh, and I think one needs to change that to other QR codes or card payments or different other uh, areas. 
Um, so we believe there's a lot of uh, uh, opportunities there. There's the whole business banking side that we've bought Mercantile um, and, and growing that. Um, so uh, there's opportunities in the insurance space and there's quite a lot of you know, opportunities in the career space. Uh, so we still see massive opportunities in South Africa. Uh, I think the most important thing is to be positive and, and look, at, look for those opportunities and then execute on them. I think that's, that's the most important Alec, you've been following Capitec closely since inception. Uh, how do you rate its progress now? Gerry uh, uh, is one of the top CEOs. He actually, uh, last year, Gerry, you'd remember, of course, the Business Times Top 100 party last year, yeah. where you were <laughs> yeah, the CEO correct. of the year, and the, uh, the Capitec was the best performing company in the country for the previous five years, ten years. Your shareholders are delighted, but from your perspective, you, you're kind of a laid back guy. Uh, you guys aren't flash. You haven't got the smartest head office. I remember visiting <laughs> with you after I gave you a bit of a rev. I don't know, six, seven, eight years. In fact, seven years ago. And, yeah. and it was such a eye opening experience because at the time there were people saying Capitech is a, uh, is an, is an accident waiting to happen. Do you still have people like that? I think uh, Alec you know, has changed quite a lot. Um, you know, our whole positioning in the micro lending side where everyone was concerned, um, the whole attack of Viceroy, I think uh, out of that whole um, different sagas that actually came out very strongly, the way we operate, the way our culture is, uh, how simplistic our models is, and that I think we really understand our, our models and we really understand our, our, our business. Um, so... I think a lot of that has moved away and people have seen, uh, you know, we set out to do certain things. There's a tremendous fo- uh, focus to deliver on certain things and execute things. And I think the other important thing is if you look at our client base, uh, we don't differentiate on, on income. Uh, everyone is treated exactly the same. Everyone has got the same fee structures. Uh, and even now, you know, on, on our people side, everyone gets treated the same. So it's those philosophies that we started building the business on and that's still um, today as is, is our DNA and it's exactly what we're doing. What a lot of South Africans don't realize is that you also rated the top bank in the world. Now that's quite a big statement given that South Africa's half a percent of global GDP. Mm. Our banks are very small relative to what you're seeing in mm. other parts of the world. But Michael Lafferty, who used to be the banking correspondent at the Financial Times of London, we all know how prestigious that one is, he went off and started his own company, uh, Lafferty International. He rates all the banks every year. And who comes top of the pile? Our Capitec. I mean, that has got to be like mind-blowing for you. Yeah, I think it's, it's also one of those um, things when uh, I think it was here at about 2008, 2009, uh, Rihanna and myself were challenging each other. And we said we need to build the best bank in the world. Uh, and yeah, a couple of years or two, three years ago, Lafferty gave us that, uh, that honor. Uh, but I think, you know, if you go and see how they actually uh, rate you, it, it all goes about you formulate your strategy and then how do you actually execute your plan uh, on that uh, uh, um, strategy. And I think that's where we've been strong at. Um, and I think, you know, it comes back to not doing a lot of things, but do do two or three things, but do it exceptionally well. Uh, so I think that, is, that has helped us a lot. Harry, it's, a lot of people talk about being disruptors, and you've done this consistently throughout your history. What, do you, what actually happens behind the scenes so that you can maintain this creative spark in your, in your organization? Can you just share a little bit with us what happens behind the scenes w- with your entrepreneurial spirit and how you harness other people's uh, entrepreneurial spirit to get this uh, big change in a, in a very competitive environment? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's part of our DNA. Uh, the first thing is this, uh, if you look at our culture, our culture goes about three blocks. Uh, it goes about the client, but it goes about the client end to end, uh, experience. Then it goes about people and then it goes about delivery. So those three blocks, uh, form our, our culture. Uh, what we do is, and we do it every single time, any, uh, we, when we look at opportunity or when we analyze it as we ask ourselves, 
how would we do it differently? How would we change it? How would we be, uh, if you have to differentiate, uh, how do you do it 30%, 40% better than what uh, somebody else is doing it now? And uh, so we do that on a regular basis. We create uh, project teams where we take people out of the business for two, three months period, and we ask them to go and investigate a certain um, area. When we launched Funeral, um, when we started with Funeral, we took our eight, nine best people and said to them, okay, you're right, you go and sit separately in the, in, in the office, uh, in a building, and you walk the streets, you go into the market, you go and look at the different funeral parlors, et cetera, et cetera, and formulate for us a product that's completely different. And they had to come back to, to the Exco at a bi-weekly basis, and then we all challenge them. Um, and, you know, so that's one example. I think uh, another one is on a regular basis, we ask ourselves uh, when we, again, we use a team of six or seven or eight people. Um, a question last year on the strategic was, how would you disrupt Kaepernick? Uh, what would you do if you uh, up against us? Uh, and we'll give those type of challenges to our best people. And what would you do if you were up against yourself? <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> there's always there's always opportunities uh, to do things differently, um, and it's 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 from there where where I think uh, you know what we're focusing on quite a lot is e-commerce space, um, and then on the business banking space uh, because you can create a quite quite a nice ecosystem um, by putting those two together. So it's an interesting concept. Um, so yeah, it's it's I think it's 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 that. That's stressing yourself and, and asking yourself the whole time, what can I do better and what can I do differently? Uh, it's that culture that you need under your people. Is it quite a tough working environment? I mean, do you have to be a, uh, quite resilient if you're constantly questioned in, at Capitec? What kind of people do you hire? Yeah, well, for me, it goes about, you know, from, uh, uh, I take myself, I never wanted to be a, a CEO. Um, I wanted to build businesses. Um, that's my passion. Um, and if you've got your passion, then you don't mind how many hours you work or what you do. You love your passion and you dream your passion. So we're looking for those, those type of people that really wants to make a, make a difference. Um, and, you know, that's what we believe we're doing. Uh, we're building um, capital retail. has still got a long way to go. And, and, and the business banking has got a long way to go. And if you want to be part of that passion to, to build something and then build something that can last two, three hundred years, then capital is the space. But then... We, we challenge yourself to, um, you know, one of the other things is I say that I don't want to be the CEO myself. Uh, I want every single person in the bank to be uh, the CEO. So if you, whatever you do, you need to act as a CEO. And the C stands for client, the E for energy, and the O for ownership. Uh, so that's the, our DNA. That's the way we operate. And Harry, just on the personal side of things, what does your life look like outside Capitec? What do you do for fun? I'm a, a, a big wine lover, so I enjoy collecting wine. Uh, and then Saturday mornings, um, it is three to three yeah, hours right at least. Wine. <laughs> yeah, but Saturday mornings is uh, mountain biking with my friends. Uh, so because then I believe you a you exercise and b you out um, with good friends. And after that, there's always a bit of a coffee and you check, a chat and you, uh, and you joke, uh, about things. And then to spend quality time with, uh, family and friends. Uh, it's, 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 I think it's important. Uh, you're trying to balance things. It's not always, uh, easy, but it's, it's important to have a balanced life. Uh, so quality time for me, uh, with family and friends is very important. Thank you. Harry, before we close off here, what are you expecting in the next financial year for Capitec? What, what would your shareholders be excited by? Well, uh, you're talking the year that's flying ahead now. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. Well, there's quite, <laughs> well uh, there's quite a lot of, and I, I can't talk uh, a, a lot in detail, but there's quite a lot of things that we've been working on for the last um, year, year and a half uh, that will come to market in the new year, uh, especially on the retail side, uh, which I'm very excited about. And then on the business banking side, um, our plan is still to rebrand Mercantile once it can handle the volumes and, and, and uh, to Mer- Capitec uh, business banking. And hopefully we can do that by middle of, of, of next year. Um, so, yeah, we, we're excited about what, what lies ahead. 
That was Harry Furry, CEO of Capitec, reflecting on the successes and challenges of running a disruptive bank in a competitive environment. Coming up in the second half of today's show, we'll be picking up with banking analyst Koki Koyman, portfolio manager Denker Capital. I'm sure we'll chat about Capitec. But before we go, a last question from Alec. Well, I just thought we could uh, see what happened to the Capitec share price today. Justin's right with us. He's uh, having a look as we speak. Justin? Alec? Capitec traded 1% up on the day at 1,351 rand at a market capitalization of 157 billion. How's that, Jax? 20 years, 157 billion, my goodness. Very impressive. I suppose the last thing people want to know, Harry, is how much longer are you going to be at Capitec? No, I've gone and dropped him already. I do apologize. Oh, sorry. <laughs> he did say, though, he's going to be there for a bit, quite a bit longer. I asked him the similar question uh, before. Excellent. So coming up, we've got Rob Hersov, the billionaire entrepreneur who is very excited about his oversubscribed SPAC. Well, I hope he's there. Uh, Rob, can you hear us? I can indeed. Welcome, Rob. Thanks so much for joining us on our first show. Uh, for people who aren't familiar with Rob, Rob is an entrepreneur and founder of Invest Africa, and he's also very outspoken on the political front. Rob, that's very rare because many business players don't want to lift their head above the parapet because it's seen as bad for business. Yeah, um, I, I lived abroad for 31 years. Uh, in 1985, having finished UCT and two years in the army, I went overseas to find fame and fortune and uh, came back four years ago. So, you know, I just feel like I should say things other people can't afford to say because... We just don't have a sp- we don't have enough spokespeople. We don't have enough people standing up, and you know we're just getting ground down by bad government. Um, so I kind of say it as I see it, and have survived thus far. And Rob, very exciting developments there in New York. Perhaps you could firstly tell us what is a SPAC. This is the big cra- craze in New York. What are SPACs? So SPACs have been around since about 2007, 2008, and it's a financial structure on the New York Stock Exchange or on any exchange. And a SPAC is a special purpose acquisition company. And it's like an IPO or a public listing in reverse. So you basically file your management team, your board, your investment thesis. You do a roadshow by Zoom. I did 56 (laughs) calls by Zoom half an hour on the half an hour and almost went delirious. And then subject to you being successful in raising the money on the back of a management team and an investment thesis, you're listed. And you're listed and you have 24 months in which to consummate a transaction that at least encompasses one single transaction that encompasses 80% of the value of the SPAC. And and that's quite a sort of broad... Uh, uh, definition because you can have debt and pipes involved. So we raised $360 million, but we can buy a business's value between $1 billion and $2.5 billion, for example. But you've got 24 months in which to consummate a transaction. And if you show a transaction to your shareholders, you have to get 75% voting yes for it to be merged into the listing and become a normal listed company. If they vote no, they get their money back. So there is risk involved. It's not, uh, <laughs> it's not just a one-way street. So as an investor then, when you invest in a SPAC, you're investing in the individuals who are, have developed the SPAC, so people like you, because the investors would be trusting that you're going to find the right types of Correct. investments to grow their, their money. Is that right? And, it, and for the investors, it's great optionality. I mean, I know their money is sitting in escrow for two years or whatever, whatever it takes to bring a deal to the table. But it's optionality because they're not earning any money in the bank. And, you know, share prices and valuations are very frothy right now. Um, so this is an opportunity to back a team in an investment area. And if you really believe in the people in that area, you, you would expect them to find something fabulous. But think about it from the other side, from a company looking for capital, looking for access to the U.S. capital markets, um, and or looking for an exit or, or partial exit. You know, it's a great opportunity. It's a very fast way to get listed on the New York Stock Exchange with cash. 
So tell us more about the opportunity you found, and you, you seem to you, you seem to be very bullish about African opportunities. Um, I I'm I sensibly evangelise investment in Africa. So there's there's some countries I wouldn't go near. There are some countries that have gone off the boil because of you know bad government or for whatever reason, and there's some countries that have sort of come back from the wilderness and are investable. Out of the 55 countries in Africa, I don't. I only think there are about 12 investable countries. Some are too small. It's not you know it's not their fault. They're just tiny. Um, but those 12 um, don't really include South Africa right now. But the thesis that our investment thesis for us back is African gold. It's called African Gold Acquisition Corp. So Africa and gold mining is our primary thesis, but we can actually invest outside of Africa and outside of gold. Our mandate's broader than just gold in Africa. Rob, that was quite a statement you made there. Twelve countries in Africa that are on the radar to be invested in, not South Africa. Well, for the SPAC, South Africa is definitely on the radar. You know, that even in countries where, you know, you're very nervous, there will be some sectors that are acceptable. And, you know, mining in South Africa, technology in South Africa, I think is definitely, you know, open. There's a good, good area to invest. But I just think, you know, the government is letting us down on every single front. Um, we should be attracting a huge amount of foreign direct investment in all sectors. The country's, is good, country's got it all. We've just got dreadful government. Rob, gold as a commodity is notoriously hard to predict. What makes you so bullish on the gold price going forward? I'm not really bullish. On, I'm somewhat bullish on the gold price, okay, because I do think, you know, with the quantitative easing and Fed money pumping out from country by country, you know, the chicken's going to have to come home to roost, or whatever the expression is, at some point. You know, there are inflationary worries in America, um, you know, we may even end up with hyperinflation here in South Africa when the economy goes down off a cliff, which I think it will. So gold has to be that safe haven that people have always gone to. And I think in the medium term and maybe the short term, gold will run. But our investment thesis isn't based on the gold price. It's based on supply-demand dynamics. And in a sort of eight-year bear cycle, bear market, you know, People didn't explore as much. People didn't spend much, as much on production. And we think there's a supply-demand mismatch. So we, we want to get into the supply of physical gold as opposed to worrying about the gold price. Very interesting. Quite depressing, though, Rob. But you did mention that there were some opportunities you were looking at in South Africa. Can you elaborate a little bit on exactly where those are? In spite of your negativity towards South Africa, I think anything technology-related, the digital infrastructure. You know, I think COVID and our government and the economy falling apart will will give huge opportunities for entrepreneurs to more rapidly pivot into the digital world. You know, people are just going to get fed up with the pathetic curriculum that they're fed at schools. Kids are fed at schools, but on their smartphone, where the prices are dropping for a smartphone incredibly rapidly. You've got the best educators in the world on your smartphone. Health, you know, why put up with terrible health services in South Africa or elsewhere when you on your phone you've got the world's best medics? Telemedicine's coming. So fintech, health tech, edutech, you know, these are going to boom, and opportunities will be rife for entrepreneurs to get into these markets and leapfrog bad governance and old infrastructure. So what are you going to do? You, you've stated previously that you aren't going to immigrate and you're here to try and shake up and, and help people see sense. What's next for you in South Africa? <laughs> well, when I came back four years ago, I said to my wife, what I'm not going to do is invest in any business in South Africa that doesn't have costs in South Africa and revenue abroad. But then I went and broke my own rule and um, a buddy, Nick Ferguson, and I have bought for Santa Kral Airport and we want to build the Lanceria of Cape Town. We're renaming it Cape Winelands Airport. And if you live in the southern suburbs, it's 35, 40 minutes from here. It was built in 1943 by the British. Four great runways. And uh, we own it. So I'm in the airport business in South Africa now. <laughs> and you've got a long history in that business, so starting off with your father being a fighter pilot. I'm not so sure people know Basil Herzog as 
uh, shooting down uh, Hitler's finest. <laughs> but he well, was. He, in, you know, he, he, did he have any kills in the Second World War? He didn't. He, uh, I think he killed a cow on landing once. But <laughs> my father's 95 years old and he's still allowed to fly. He's, he's not allowed to have passengers. He's still raised to fly. He's not allowed to have passengers. He has to have a pilot next to him. Um, and uh, <laughs> and he, he's, he's, he was scuba diving age 91. Um, he turned up, handed me this letter that, from his doctor that said, if this old idiot wants to kill himself, he's very welcome to. <laughs> and he's a fantastic guy. And well known. And yes, he caught, he mm. caught the last six months of the, second, of the Second World War up in Italy. And he, even today, is the honorary colonel of 21 Squadron. And he goes to the dinners and has all his medals. He's a great guy. Marvellous. Big shoes to fill. Rob, how does he feel about you going into mining, given that uh, the Herzog name, or certainly Basil Herzog, as chairman of Anglovol for so many years, and, and uh, your, your grandfather, who was chairman before him, it's so deeply embedded in the South African economy. Now you're going back into mining after doing media, digital, uh, airlines yourself. I know, he, he really burst out laughing when I told him what I was doing. He said, you've tried everything in your career to avoid getting into the mining industry. And here you are, age 60. <laughs> he thought it was so funny. Rob, while I was digging around on your background, I noticed that you seem to hire a lot of women. And, you know, in your environment, it's, it's very male-dominated. So is this a coincidence, or do you find women superior employees? Or, or what was your rationale behind that? Was it unconscious? Uh, it was unconscious, to, to be fair. I, just hire, I like to hire the smartest people in the room. I don't care if they're men, women, tall, short. It doesn't matter. I mean, if you've got the smartest people in the room, things happen. Funnily enough, I've got a business in London, Invest Africa, that's all women, and a business called African Capital Investments, that's all men. And I don't think it had anything to do with me. But I've got, I'm doing something pretty big in the next, I'm going to announce it in a month, hopefully in a month. Uh, it's pretty big, it is focused on Africa, and has a lot of women. Well, we hope you share the news with us first here on the Biz News Power Hour. Thank you. And thank, thank you, Alec. Love business. Rob, it's such a pleasure to, to have you on the program uh, here on our very, very first night. And I'm sure Jackie joins me in wishing you all the best. Just before you go, we do have a share price uh, of your SPAC on the New York Stock Exchange. Justin was looking at it a moment ago. Justin? African Gold Acquisition Corps currently trading at just over 10 US dollars a share. And what's the market cap? The market cap is just over 300 million. US dollars. I thought you raised 360 million, Rob. Can we go yeah. and buy it at yeah. a discount already? No, it's actually trading at cash. Uh, at at the cash. There was a, there's a shoe that's being issued, and we're, we're going to go up to 360. So we're just finalizing it. Ah. But it's trading at a tiny premium to cash. The, and it's not really going to do much. It shouldn't do much uh, until we get close, until we announce an acquisition. Thank you. You've been listening to Rob Hersov, an entrepreneur and billionaire who's just launched a SPAC in New York and has got lots of exciting ideas to grow Africa. And he's also very outspoken about the current political situation in South Africa. Did you Coming invest in a Did you Coming invest in a car that's safe and reliable? How do you maintain it after your motor plan has run out? The answer is AutoWorks. At AutoWorks, you get original parts with a 60,000-kilometer one-year warranty and workmanship as good as the agents. With branches in Strand, Milnerton, Salt River, and now also Brackenfell, keep your car maintained according to the original manufacturer specifications. Visit autoworks.co.za for more. AutoWorks. We make autos work. Now you can enhance the beauty of your garden by using Mayford Seeds with a full range of vegetables, flowers, herbs and lawn grasses. Mayford Seed Packs are hermetically sealed and date stamped, ensuring a quality product that you can trust. To grow your own vegetables, herbs, flowers and lawn, explore our seed stand at any leading retailer for sheer inspiration. Mayford Quality Seeds, the leading brand. In these uncertain times, many of us are feeling the financial pinch. The good news is that your assets don't need to be under lockdown. 
For honest on-site appraisals of all your jewelry, diamonds, fine watches, artworks, and Krugerrands, visit your trusted partner at Point Jewelry Exchange Seapoint and turn your assets into much-needed cash. Collateral loans are also offered with quick and easy payment options. With 20 years of service excellence, you can count on our great value always. Unlock your will. Visit pointjewels.co.za. Joining us now is Koki Koyman of Denker Capital. Koki is one of the best banking analysts in the world. Koki, before we talk about Warren Buffett's annual newsletter, and for people who follow Koki, they'll know that he's a Warren Buffett uh, pilgrim. We were chatting to Hirifuri earlier from Capitec, and they've just had their 20th anniversary. Where does Capitec fit in your portfolio? How do you rate it? Uh, too expensive. <laughs> no, I, 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 I love I love Capitec, and I also manage the NetBank uh, SA Financial Fund. And there we have we used to have Capitec for a long time until it got too expensive, and we switched into PSG, which then was trading at a at a, at a discount too. And you thought, okay, uh, we'll still get Capitec via PSG, and that strategy has worked. But that discount is actually open, so we still hold. Uh, PSG there, and we hold Capitec now after um, the unbundling, uh, you know, the price fell and we bought some more. So in South African portfolios, we hold Capitec despite it, it being expensive relative to the other banks, but its runway going forward is is just so, so much better still than the other banks. There's still so much market share it can take, and it's just such a good management team and, and such a good CEO as well. So, yeah, I love it, but for offshore portfolio, uh, it's a bit expensive, especially, you know, being in South Africa as well. Cookie. At the weekend, Warren Buffett released his annual letter to shareholders, and I, I know that you follow Warren Buffett very closely. I know that you've taken Alec Hogg with you to uh, Omaha before to some of uh, Warren Buffett's uh, annual meetings, and also you've also been there, I believe, with Pete Fulyunu, who's going to join us soon as well. Koki, what did you make of the shareholders' letter? Some people have described it as being, you know, very low on detail and missing the key issues of the year. Yes, it actually surprised negatively on that count. So if you've been following Warren Buffett like myself, and, and in fact, Pete took me there the very first time I went, uh, which I think was 99, and you're quite right. Then Alec went with us a few times with Lori Dippenau, and Lori then commissioned Alec to do a whole show on Berkshire Hathaway for first round. But if for, for guys like ourselves that have been following the stock, it was a nice read. And it's a good read for people who are interested in investments in terms of just you know, a lot of stories about when they did this and why they did this and, you know, you know, rules of investing. But in terms of what he's doing now and the current situation, it, it was as if he wrote it six months ago and just didn't want to write about, you know, the, there's nothing on COVID. Uh, there's nothing on, uh, he's selling airline stocks, there's nothing on his producing his, his bank shareholdings, which obviously was a huge mistake. He seemed to have panicked. Um, well, it was a huge mistake measured now. Let's measure that in five years' time, but I, I think it will be seen as a big mistake going forward. There's nothing about Ted and Todd, who I think most probably, and now I'm just guessing, having having you know gotten to know him through attending and through letters and so um I think they played a role in his decisions he made because a lot of them were unlike uh, Warren, but there was no mention of that. Uh, so a good read, but but also no view of going forward, except obviously America is a great country and will continue to do well. And you know, the companies they hold, and obviously the Apple story is still great, but yeah, you know, it was very lacking on on current on contemporary detail. And just for listeners who aren't familiar with Warren Buffett, he's described as one of the greatest investors ever. He's produced consistently superior returns over something like six decades, and he has a very specific approach to investing. Uh, so, Alec, were you disappointed with the letter? I'm never disappointed with Warren Buffett. And, <laughs> and I think that the, the, the only thing that disappoints me not is that he's going to shift the AGM to California this year, away from Omaha. I think once you've been to Omaha 
five times. Uh, it's very difficult to think about going back, and I think I've been quite a few more than five times. And Corky, you must have been there, what, 15, 20 times 20, already? 21. 21. 20, yeah. 21 times in that horrible little uh, low-grade holiday inn. It's not even a holiday inn. It's the next one down, uh, which yeah. they charge you, for, what was it, $400 a night? It, it's gone to $400. It's gone to $400. They, I've often, I go for a week and then prepare beforehand. And I actually use Omaha then to fly out to the other bank visits I want to do. Cause from that hotel to the airport to be in the plane is about 35 minutes. Cause it's, it, it's so short distance, a small airport. If you do that from New York, it takes you two hours. So I've used it as a base. <laughs> but then on the Monday, they charge you like $120. And over the weekend, they charge you $400. But, but Alec, I've grown used to or grown fond of Omaha, uh, <laughs> believe it or not. But I think. Uh, the switch of, of, it's the recording really in Los Angeles. It's really interesting the year after if they go live again, whether they'll go back to the Quest Center in, in Omaha. But I, 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 I suppose Charlie being 97, uh, they really wanted Charlie on the show and thought let's do it live in, in Los Angeles with Charlie and in fact Ajit and Greg Abel, the two lieutenants were also sitting. So it, the, the recording, or the, 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 the virtual session, I think, will be quite interesting with Charlie there again. I also spoke to Pit Fulion, who I, I'm interested to hear uh, took you on your first journey to Omaha. And uh, let's listen to the clip uh, of what he had to say about the weekend's announcement from Warren. Before we talk about the newsletter, when is the first time that you made that trip to Omaha? It was around about 1996-ish, around about there. Those are lots of years. That's a lot of years. 25 years ago, yeah. 25 years ago. And what took you there for the first time? Well, at the time, um, I was with Investec Asset Management, in, or 91 as they're called now, and I was sort of figuring out, you know, what, uh, you know, what money management meant and how to manage money properly and what sort of synced with my psyche. And so I was reading all sorts of books and reading all sorts of biographies and about all sorts of different companies. And I came across this company called Berkshire Hathaway and, and a person called Warren Buffett, uh, who at that time, you might recall, was uh, starting to become very much out of favor, uh, but his writings were fascinating. Uh, so I started reading up um, all his annual reports, his letters to shareholders, and I decided then uh, that I would go to Omaha to experience it for myself. Um, so, yeah, that was around about 96 and you kept going part back. Of my, part of my learning process. You kept going back. I kept going back, not each and every year, but every few years. I kept going back. Uh, it's always a good touchstone to to go back to, um, just to to get in connection with clear thinking. And the clear thinking was it once again evidenced in the shareholders' letter that Buffett put out, his annual letter uh, that he put yeah. out over the weekend. Yeah. Very much so. I mean, there's always there's 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 like four themes that generally run through all his letters, and I think these themes came through again this year, uh, just reminding us again of what it means to be investor and what you need, what attributes you need to have to be a good investor. So, so I think it's always and and he, every year, obviously, use use different examples to illustrate those those themes, but they come through every year. So. Cookie, one of the things that I was interested to hear you saying is that you were a bit skeptical about Apple in the Berkshire Hathaway portfolio. We have Apple in the Biz News share portfolio, and Apple's a very popular stock. <laughs> Do you think that's a bad decision? No. I mean, obviously, from when he bought it, and in the newsletter he goes, or his shareholders letter, he goes on about it a bit. Uh, so he bought it very well. He bought it when the price was still well, the valuation was lower than it was now. Um, and it's interesting, the history of Berkshire Hathaway is, despite his big friendship with Bill Gates, he never invested in technology stocks. And his theory was always he can't see the end game. It's, a, it's an environment that changes so rapidly that you could – think you're with a leader as you were with, let's say, BlackBerry or, or Nokia or Ericsson, and and five years later, someone else has overtaken you. And 
he started buying Apple when he finally realized that this is more than just a technology stock. This is a, a consumer stock. It's a brand. And once he understood that and he understood the cash flow that it generates, he started buying and it's now 5.4% of his portfolio. So it's done very well for him. Um, but it's interesting that it's out of character that it, it is expensive. But then he has also learned to value a stock, not only on the tangible book value, but also on the goodwill. And obviously, that franchise value and the brand name of a- Apple has huge value, um, as does the cash flow. But it will be interesting now because the tech stocks have done well. They are expensive um, relative to what else you can get in the market, different topic. But knowing Warren, he'll most, Warren, he'll most be sit through believing in the company. And, uh, you know, he takes a 10-year, 20-year view. So I think on 10-year, 20-year yeah, Apple will be there still generating good cash flows. Well, thank you very much for those insights, Koki. You've been listening to Koki Koyman of Denker Capital. He is a global banking analyst. Next. Let's see what's happening in the news now with Melanie Nathan at BizNews in Johannesburg. Well, uh, I'll be doing that in a moment, but I've just I've just got to bring you up to date there with with the whole Berkshire Hathaway thing. What Warren Buffett also wrote in his newsletter, which Corky didn't mention, was there are now four legs to Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, there is the wholly owned subsidiary in energy, in insurance. Um, there's another wholly owned subsidiary. Sorry, it'll come to you in a moment. And the fourth leg is Apple. So they've got four legs uh, that, sorry, railroad. That's right. So it's, it's energy, railroad, insurance. And Apple. So even though he stayed away for technology for so long, Jackie, when he finally went in, he went in big. Here is the uh, flash briefing, as you mentioned, from Melanie. South Africa's seasonally adjusted APSA Purchasing Managers Index expanded faster in February compared with January, supported by an increase in new sales and business activity. The index, a gauge of manufacturing activity in Africa's most industrialized economy, rose to 53 points in February from 50.9 in January, remaining above the 50-point mark that separates expansion from contraction. The most encouraging outcome of the February survey was a continued improvement in new sales orders. The improvement was supported by better export sales relative to the previous month. While the loosening of local lockdown restrictions likely also contributed to an uptick in domestic demand, said APSA in a statement. South Africa's diversified service provider, Bidvest Group, reported a 6.1% year-on-year rise in profit for the six months that ended on December 31st. Profit was lifted by the contribution of PHS, a UK-based hygiene company bought in 2019. Demand for hygiene and facility services, DIY products and bulk commodity services also boosted half-year earnings. Its normalized headline earnings per share, which excludes some items such as acquisition costs and COVID-19-related expenses, was 651 cents for the six months, up 6% from a year ago. Its revenue for the period grew 3% to 44 billion rand. The company declared an interim dividend of 290 cents per share, up 2.8%. Public consultations have begun on a policy document that will target nepotism, political interference and corruption in public service, South African President Cyril Ramaphosa said in a weekly letter to the nation. We are proposing a number of far-reaching reforms, such as extending the tenure of heads of department based on merit and performance, doing occupation-based competency assessments and involving the Public Service Commission in the interviews of Directors-General and Deputy Directors-General, Romaposa said. The public service must be staffed by men and women who are professional, skilled, selfless and honest, he added. Former French President Nicolas Sarkozy has been found guilty of trying to bribe a magistrate, becoming the first president in the history of France's post-World War II Republic to face prison time. A Paris court convicted him on charges of influence peddling and corruption, sentencing him to three years in prison. Sarkozy faces a one-year prison term as the court suspended two years of his sentence. Justin Rowe Roberts covers the Johannesburg stock market for BizNews. Justin, can you give us a quick wrap of what happened on the Johannesburg stock market today? Jackie, the JSE All Share Index was up 2.4% for the day. Some of the day's highlights include Sassol up 4%, Precious Metals Producer Sabanya Stillwater up 3.1%, 
NASPERS and PROCESS up 4% and 2.7% respectively, and that's on the back of internet giant Tencent up over 5% in Hong Kong this morning. And telecommunications provider Telcom was the biggest mover up over 6% on the day. Off to the currency markets, the rand was flat against the greenback at 15 rand to the dollar. The rand strengthened against the pound by 1% or 20 cents to 20 rand 86 cents. And it also strengthened by 1.5% to the euro, 18 rand 04 cents. The gold price increased by 0.7% to $1,740 an ounce. Bitcoin increased by over 8% to $49,000, which equates to over 730,000 rand. Brent crude was up by less than half a percent to $64.55 a barrel. And in the U.S. markets, the Dow Jones, S&P 500, 500 and NASDAQ all up around 2% for the day. Thank you very much. And that's all we've got time for today from me, Jackie Cameron, and the rest of the team at Biz News. We hope to see you again this time tomorrow. You've been listening to the Power Hour brought to you by the team at Biz News.